recording. <laughs> live, this is all live. Yeah. Live to tape. <laughs> yep, yep. No mistakes possible. Indeed. This is Link to the Cast episode 106 from linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined by a man I only call in times of trouble, such as when Mark Robinson deserts me, and that is the Roman Reigns of audio, Mr. Jack Lazell. Jack, how have you been? I'm alright, mate. I have to say probably for your regular listeners that this is the unfortunate direction for link to the cast have taken because i have been on the last two shows in a row now and I, de facto I, i'm the host of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're the you're the, the main bit of continuity we have going on at the moment and you'll be on a f- that can't be good You'll be on another straight show after this because we have a podcast uh, popcorn social coming out soon probably before the next link to the cast so that could be an impressive streak for you uh, appearing on programming on this very website. That is the beginning of the streak. Speaking of streaks, uh, there was quite a streak of uh, wrestling shows this past weekend. We're not going to get into a big grap up over it, uh, our sister podcast, but uh, how are you hanging in after a weekend in which I believe I consumed somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25 or 26 hours uh, of wrestling? I probably consumed about half of that, and I feel okay, you know? Uh, I'm alright. I'm, I'm good. I still found time to play one of the games that we're about to talk about in our uh, now playing section, mm. and, you know, f- found the time to fit in some, you know, disappointing uh, football-based activities and stuff, you know, watch the <laughs> film. All good. Just a regular weekend for me, plus <laughs> WrestleMania. Films and disappointing football. It's just the way our, our lives have been lately. Although my, my weekend was decidedly better than yours in terms of results, I suppose. Not to turn this into another former podcast of ours. Um, yeah, if um if the Grap Up is a sister podcast, what is our former football podcast, Dave? The, the Away Goals podcast? Is, is it like... Uh, the, the child we sent away on Rumspringer, who, like, once they've sampled the modern world, may come back to us, but uh, until then are shunned from our community. A child we tried to raise, realised that it wasn't going anywhere, gave up for adoption, and is going to track us down when he's 18, just to give us a good chewing. Give us a good... We'll get an invite to Jeremy Kyle in the post, who knows. Um... Shall we talk Which about... one of us is the father? Because it's biologically impossible for it to be both of that's, us. That's the second or twist to the episode. Tune into the next. It's gonna. It's <laughs> gonna be a great Kyle. episode. <laughs> Shall we talk about some video games, my friend? Oh yes, my friend. Playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Mm-hmm. 
Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. I think there's probably only one video game um, that we're going to be talking about this because I haven't been on in a couple of weeks since this game came out and you told me that you were absolutely itching to talk through this with me. We've been trying to stay a little bit kind of uh, detail-free in our discussions with each other on it uh, in the hopes that we would get to thrash it out on a podcast. But that game, Jack, is Far Cry 5, um, which came out what, about two weeks ago now, I think. Yeah, I think two Fridays ago. Yeah. Well, no, it's about ten days, I think so. Ten days, yeah, yeah, that that, that sounds about right. Now, uh, just to kind of, we're going to stay spoiler-free for anybody who hasn't got through it yet, um, and just to kind of get a, a little bit of a temperature check in the room, you're near the end of the game, or have you finished it yet? I'm nearing the end, yeah, as, as it takes, like, the last... It's, it's split up into three segments, uh, and I have one completed segment and two, like, three-quarters of the way completed segments, which I've been ping-ponging back and forth. Okay. And I am... Um, I, I kind of tend to go segment by segment, uh, like you said, in the three regions. So I've cleared out one region completely, and now I've kind of... Uh, done about an hour to two hours worth of work in the the second region i went to um so as i said we'll, we'll try and stay spoiler free but loosely jack what are your impressions so far of far cry 5 um it's that it's a big mad crazy fucking experience in every second that you're playing it it's mental mate yeah it's um it's funny the there's been a lot of disappointing or middling reviews coming out for the game, which I've kind of found a little bit surprising. Um, because I think I said this to you like shortly before it came out when those reviews started dropping, is that I think your impression of the game depended largely on what your expectations were. Um, if you read the the kind of the, the, the pre-release stuff... And you saw that very first trailer, which looked like there was going to be some important or incisive social commentary about Christian conservatism or militarism in the United States. Um, you probably were going to be disappointed by this game. But if you paid attention to everything Ubisoft said after that first trailer about how people were reading a bit too far into it and they were kind of pulling their punches. And if you kind of had the tempered expectation that this was just going to be a, a another game following the far cry formula but in a like a larger and slightly better refined world um where story takes a backseat to fun and chaos and i think you're probably going to really enjoy it um but though it must be said one of the things that makes the far cry formula is the the charismatic antagonist and in the last two kind of numbered Far Cry games, we've been treated to, to great performances. Uh, Voss in Far Cry 3 and Pagan Min in Far Cry 4. But even though I like the aesthetic of Montana and the, like I said, the, the kind of militarist Christian cult uh, in in Far Cry 5, I think the character of the father falls uh, more than a little bit short of uh, the kind of the lofty heights of those eccentric performances. Yeah, I can only agree. I When there are cutscenes where they're kind of going through what's happening in the story, or it's like, because there's the father and then there's like his three sort of underlings, 
um, without giving too much away. And whenever one of the underlings is doing something or speaking, or I'm just I, I find myself hovering over the skip button. To be honest, Dave, like I kind of don't care what they're saying i just want to get to whatever the next mission is because yeah. i find the gameplay far more interesting than whatever it is that they're trying to do with the story whether they like knifed a bunch of it out because they didn't want to upset like crazy right-wing players mm. experiences or whatever and maybe they just thought of their bank balance and their profit margin if that was the creative choice that they were gonna originally make but yeah i you know me, Dave. Like I love Final Fantasy. I love Metal Gear Solid. I'm a story game guy. Like I love a good story game. This isn't that, but kind of what it lacks in that area, it makes up for just in pure mayhem. I don't know about you, but it just I I've very rarely played a game that I've enjoyed so much that I've had no connection yeah. to the reason that I'm actually in the game. I'm just in there and having a blast. Yeah, so I was like a huge fan of Far Cry 4 when it came out a few years ago, like three years ago now maybe, and um, I didn't give a fuck about the story in that game, like the story of you returning to Kairat and, and who you were and, and your kind of relationship with the two factions that were warring over trying to uh, overthrow pagan men, uh, but the thing that kept me in the cutscenes for that and not, as you say, hovering over the skip button, which I've been doing in this as well, uh, is the fact that uh, Troy Baker's performance as Pagan Min was just so absorbing and charismatic and weird that I just, even though I wasn't paying attention to the like the story, I was still wrapped up in his delivery. If you know what I mean, I was wildly entertained by just what a strange yeah. and witty person he was in it, and I loved the kind of it injected a lot of personality into the game. Uh, having him like if you'd accomplish something in the world. Kind of like they do in Far Cry 5, uh, Pagan Min would come over the radio to talk to you, uh, but he would do, like, he, he it was just, like, improv comedy he was doing, and it was, it was really, really funny, but in this, like, those characters are, are pretty much played dead seriously, um, and just not as like even though i you know i i can see what they were going for and i think the opening much like every other far cry game i've played like the opening of the game is fantastically well done and and it it kind of excellently sets up if they wanted if like if they wanted to flesh out the story but i don't i don't think anything they do after that opening really uh, delivers on the promise uh, of that kind of just introduction to the characters like it's very very creepy and menacing that character the father at the start but then kind of no payoff to it uh throughout much of the 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 middle trench of the game but as you say yeah my analogy dave for that would be that if there are any wrestling fans listening i kind of feel like the father is bray wyatt and his disciples are like the wyatt family where it's like at first it's like oh this is cool this is eerie and then you just kind of tire of it because there's there's no logical place to go with it. It's just a guy that's like being very earnest and speaking slowly, and just it's meant to be menacing, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, but then and yeah, exactly. He's not saying anything like other than, you know, they're trying to save you. Uh, one of them's trying to save you. One of them's trying to turn you into like the ultimate soldier. The other one just wants to put you in bunkers and m- try and murder you, but does a really lousy job of it. Like it's just, 
whatever man like you shoot your way out and you get back to chasing bears around woods much more fun yeah uh as you say the the gameplay is why we're here and i think uh for the most part the gameplay in far cry is just is brilliant because it's just they've they've structured the world in such a way where it's like just go nuts here is a thousand things to do but also it, it's not done in an overwhelming way like some open world games do it where just immediately everything is active. It's like you, you get more stuff on your list of quests or side quests or whatever just by going to visit different characters or different areas and things like yeah. that. So it kind of it doesn't overwhelm you with the list of tasks that need to be accomplished. Um, I co- love the intro as well because you're on that yeah. tiny little island and you're just sort of cruising around going from point to point and you're being instructed by somebody and you you, you clear all those missions out and you're like, oh, cool, I see. This is kind of, it feels linear at that point. And then it's just like, oh, by the way, you're on a tiny island, which is about 2% of the world map. And then it like zooms out and shows you the three big regions and you're like, wow, it blows your mind. Like, and I think that's a really cool device of putting that that initial uh, island like that initial sort of like tutorial part of the game in the middle and then just blowing it open wide and then that just it makes you appreciate the size and breadth of the task that's ahead of you at that point yeah it's an interesting way of getting around that open world game problem of trying to confine you for for long enough to teach you the basic rules of the world um so yeah you kind of get a little flavor for everything you'll be doing once you get off the island while you're there um and and then as you say you get off the island and it just opens up and you can kind of go whatever way you want the game kind of very loosely tries to guide you tell you which area they'd recommend that you go to first but you can pretty much just tackle the three regions in whatever way you like and I, the, the world looks beautiful i think like as a technical achievement it's just incredible uh far cry 4 was the same but this is just even bigger um I really enjoy the different things you can do and like I enjoy the kind of they've clearly set the characters and the the creatures and stuff like that in this game on certain AI paths and the way those AI paths interact with each other sometimes is chaos so we were talking off the air about how I had this very intense cutscene with a guy uh, you'll know him he's the guy who like you need to get his plane back uh, because basically him uh delivering goods via his plane is the way he makes a living for his family um so yeah. he, he kind of very earnestly is pleading with you to go and get his plane back and then as soon as that cutscene ends a turkey flew from off screen and mauled his face and killed him so i had to re- <laughs> i had to revive him <laughs> i was like what the fuck and then there's like there was an early point in the game where I went to a stronghold and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll hide up in a bush here and up on a hill and I'll scout everybody. So I start count, I start using my things to mark all the targets. I find right, okay, there's five guys in here. Uh, if I go down this way, I, I can take out the alarm before I get in. Blah blah blah. And then, uh, literally, just as I was making sure my weapons were reloaded and about to run down the hill and go and take out the alarm, a bull stampedes into the stronghold and kills every single one of them. 
and I was just <laughs> I was just close enough to the kind of like the what would have been the perimeter for the mission that I got the clear for doing the stronghold and I got um I think that's how I got my trophy. There's a trophy for like uh clearing out a stronghold uh without being detected. <laughs> yeah. And I got it because a bull did the dirty work for me. Have you had many uh occasions like that where kind of different AI routines interacted with each other in an entertaining way? Oh yeah, there's plenty. Like so I was trying to talk to somebody when I was playing it yesterday for a mission. And then all of a sudden, like, if you try and talk to somebody, but there's, like, trouble afoot, like, it, you go to talk, and the talk button will be grayed out, and it says, in conflict. So it said, in conflict, and I'm, like, I'm looking at my little radar at the top, and I'm, like, I can't see anybody. And then a fucking plane swoops down, like, one of the planes that the, the cult has, and just, like, it hits him with a machine gun and like he flies Dave like <laughs> flies through the air and it's just like cut to ribbons by this machine gun and I'm like oh man I didn't even have the option to revive him he was just killed to death <laughs> so you had to plane. like fast travel away and fast travel back exactly yeah as as frustrating as an experience that can be but yeah loads of stuff I mean just like you know anytime you're walking around and a bear tries to kill you and you know, you just minding your own business and, like, a plane, like, a, a helicopter or something will just plop down in front of you and a bunch of dudes pile out of it. It's it's definitely one of those games where you can't passively play it. I feel like if I just, like, even set my controller to one side for, like, 30 seconds, then I'll turn back and there'll be, like, a pack of cougars, like, ripping yeah, my... Yeah, it's, it's... Just, like, the whole thing is just... It, it's, it's, it's beautifully controlled chaos. And yeah. I love it for that. It's um, it, it's a kind of world that's just like it, it's it, the hos the hostility level is just turned up that little bit more than your average open world game that you can't really idle for too long, uh, without something bad going down, like either some cult members happening upon you, or like you said, like a cougar or some bears just mauling you, um. And some of the missions are really fun as well, because one of my favorite things about Far Cry is that it really doesn't take itself too seriously all the time. Um, like, a lot of the the main campaign stuff is fairly straight-laced and serious, but uh, I, I wanted to bring up with you, there's a, 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 th- a thread of, like, side missions that have to do with this thing, and I'll say no more to you, Jack, if you haven't heard of it, but the Testy Festy? Yes. yes i know what you mean so there's i won't give away the whole thread of missions but it is fantastic it it is on a big sign when you get to the town falls end which is very 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 early in the game outside that town there's a huge (laughs) festival (laughs) that is plotted on there so it the, the testy festy is a testicle a bull testicle festival and you have to do a bunch of side missions to try and ensure that the festival takes place. And the one I want to bring up that is just the epitome of Far Cry silliness is the one where you try and collect the testicles. Yeah. Um, so the way you, you do that is you go to where there's a bunch of bulls in an enclosure and there's cows out in the field. And you have to shoot the lock to get the bulls out. And then this encourages them to shall we say have some special alone time with the cows but as soon as you shoot the lock off and the bulls walk out into the field this fucking like barry white 
like soul R&B music starts playing like Ugh, you know isn't it just it's, isn't it let's get it on Did, uh, or Is am it? I imagining that I don't think it I, rem- is. I, I, I might be wrong I didn't think it was it was definitely very reminiscent of it anyway it's that kind of you know uh, baby making jams sort of playlist on Spotify sort of music anyway and yeah, there's that, and then, it, like, if that doesn't go too well, because um, I, the first time I did that, I didn't get out of the field quick enough, and a bull charged me, and I died. So when I respawned, oh. I went back in, and the game was basically like, okay, that didn't work, so here's what you can do. Get in this tractor here with the, the blades on the front of it, and run over a bull and harvest his testicles that way. Uh, and then they were like, okay, now get out and use the flamethrower to set a bull on fire and take his testicles that way. Um, all the while this, again, the smooth jazz music is playing. It's it's just real, real dumb. <laughs> and I, 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 yeah. I love it for that. Now, that's not... I don't, I don't know about you, Dave, but after I found out that I could do that with the tractors and the mulcher thing on the front of it... I just went round mulching people, yeah. mulching as many cult members as many animals. I was just for a good ten minutes. I was just like, I'm just gonna go like hack stuff into tiny pieces with this tractor. <laughs> uh, that said, the game is not without its faults, and I think even though there's a lot of that 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 cool kind of AI subroutines interacting. Uh, that also will inevitably lead to kind of not game breaking stuff but kind of some frustrating stuff every now and then Um, one of the things being that just randomly like if there's conflict happening and conflict ends but a character does like the the AI of the character doesn't recognize that the conflict has ended you just won't be able to talk to them it will stay in conflict even though there's nothing going on. Uh, and then you'd have to, again, like we said before, fast travel away, fast travel back to get it done. Uh, I've on a couple of time, uh, on a couple of occasions, there have been like prompts I'm supposed to do where I'm supposed to interact with something and just the interaction button has not come up at all. And I've had to actually like quit the game and reload the game at that point to get it to interact again. Um, and the same goes for there was there's one mission so i won't give the details of it away but as jack will attest to because we were talking about this over the weekend um john who's one of the the lieutenants of the father john seed he's the his region is the first region that dutch the the guy who's on the island recommends you go to so if you go there and the way you kind of uh, draw out the boss of the region is that you do all the different submissions, uh, all the side story, all the story missions to try and get up your resistance points to the point at which your uh, the, the main dude is just like, right, I'm going to fucking kill you myself. Um, so when you trigger John's final mission, which, as myself and Jack were talking about over the weekend, is bastard hard... Um, I was, you have to go, at a certain point in that mission, you have to go into a bunker. And uh, the first couple of times, if I went into the bunker and I, I went down a bunch of steps, and if I died early on, I would respawn outside the bunker instead of inside the bunker. And I would be in the middle of a bunch of guys who are not supposed to interact with you until you're on the way out. But obviously, if you spawn outside, the AI recognizes that you're there and all these guys 
in like heavy body armor you're just in the middle of them and they kill you stone dead and you just get into a loop of respawning trying to run away from them and open the door and get back into the bunker but you never make it because they've got heavy machine guns and you can't take them down uh, very easily um did you encounter stuff like that jack that was just a little like oh for fuck's sake um kind of like not game breaking but just frustrating bugs uh you know what? i think i've been quite lucky because again occasionally getting the in conflict message and uh, as i mentioned i think the guy with the uh, one of the missions on another one of the island davis to retrieve some bobbleheads yeah. Uh, and he was the guy who was <laughs> cut to pieces uh, by machine gun fire. But I haven't had too much of that, really. Like, as I say earlier, my main frustrations of the game are just the fact that I don't really of what I'm doing. But I think missions are all fun, and there's enough variety to keep you going, and, like, it feels rewarding. You, you unlock points to sort of, like, upgrade your character, so there's, like, the RPG element of it. There's no... Um, and I mean, there is microtransactions, but they're so limited. It, it, it's unbelievable. Like you really only need to pay money if you want a different like skin on your gun in the game. Because you over the course of the game, you'll easily make enough money to like. I'd say I'm like three quarters of the way through it, and I I have most of the stuff that I wanted in the game from the start. Looking at it, so there's like almost no point spending any extra money in the game. Uh. One thing that I would want to mention, though, Dave, is I don't know how many of these that you've done, but one of my favorite things to do in the game are the trapper like hunts that you do, where there's like a little sort of uh, deposit of like guns and money and like perk points, which you can use to upgrade yeah. your character, hidden away somewhere, and you just got to do a little puzzle to figure out how to to unlock the door or yeah. get into it or or find the guy who has a key or something and i think there's the reason that i went ahead and did two regions at the same time dave is because i wanted to do all those because i found those really really fun yeah i think they reminded me of like if you want to talk about something from a similar adventure game they reminded me toad. of captain toad uh, yeah <laughs> treasure tracker uh they reminded me of captain toad treasure tracker but they also reminded me of the little uh side quests in rise of the tomb raider but also kind of like a smaller version of some of the uh, kind of overworld puzzles in Breath of the Wild, which is a weird comparison to draw Far Cry 5 and Breath of the Wild. But like, you no, know, I agree, I agree. you know, like the Korok seeds where there are just little things you notice that are out of the ordinary in the world and there's a little bit of puzzle solving involved. Or even some of the shrines in, in Breath of the Wild where there's like a very basic puzzle, but it's a nice... There are so many of them in Breath of the Wild and there are enough of them in Far Cry 5, although I would like there to be even more. Um, that it kind of like when the grind of being in the open world gets a bit monotonous it's like oh i'll just bash out a few of these like you say uh, because they're all fun and they're all different it's it's, it's a really kind of rewarding little self-contained adventure in a way yeah and it's a good way to get your if, if you're struggling with a mission it's a good way to unlock those perks to get your character different things like whether it's more health or like faster reload rates and stuff like if you feel like you're at the point where you're struggling uh yeah and the only other thing i hated was the fishing <laughs> because yeah it's a mission where spoilers kind of but not at all really where you have to catch a, a big fucking fish that doesn't really give anything away um but yeah that oh god the fishing mechanic on it annoyed me 
<laughs> but like that's that and the story are pretty much the only negatives that I have so far. I've, I've just had a blast. And you know what it is? It's it's style over substance. Yeah, in the extreme. Um, something if it just feels really fun but if there's no depth to it you you kind of just move on with your life eventually like i'll play this i'll probably complete it i'll have a half-assed attempt to get all the trophies because you've got to do the online stuff to do some of them and that just looks like a pain uh, and if i don't get it i'll just move on to whatever the next game is and anytime i'm reminded of this over the next few years i'm i'm sure it'll bring a, a smile to my face dave would you be tempted fashion fun would you be tempted there's one more question i have before that like just based on what you were saying there about the fun you're having with it would you be tempted to hold on to it for the the dlc packages they were coming off or there's going to be one where you have an adventure in vietnam and one where you have an adventure on mars i i think i bought the gold version so i just get the dlc oh. which i mainly bought so i could get far cry 3 as well because oh. I, I quite like to replay a remastered version of that because as you mentioned earlier michael mando is fucking awesome in that game and anybody that's seen um better call saul will attest to how good of an actor he is so it's good to actually see him as a real human and, and what he can do in real life does that so, uh... yeah i'm looking does, does that version well, come with just Far Cry 3 or does it come with Blood Dragon as well? Uh, I think it comes with... So the Gold Edition comes with like a couple of in-game weaponry things which are just like, yeah, it's nice to have but they don't make a huge amount of difference but you um, you get Far Cry 3 and you get the three DLC packs as well okay. and I think when I, where I bought it from, which was Smith's, it was like an extra like £9 to get the Gold Edition and I was like, well, it's worth that just to get Far Cry 3 on top of it, so... That's what I have. Yeah. Um. The one question I have as well, the one of the changes to the Far Cry formula that is in this is that perk system that you were talking about. And um, in the uh, previous Far Cry games, to uh, get upgrades, like whether it was an extra holster or, or whatever, uh, you would have to do a specific mission. So, like, uh, say if you wanted uh, an extra large quiver for arrows, there would be a specific thing you would have to do, like skin three of these rabbits, or, you know, um, I know for your, uh, was it for, like, your explosives and stuff, you would have to get rhino hides, things like that. Um, what they've done in this is they've kind of put in uh, almost like a middleman. So... Instead of you having to do specific things to get a specific upgrade, what you do is there is a massive list of achievements that will get you perk points. And then you can spend those perk points on whatever perk you want. So say in a previous game, you mightn't have been able to get an extra holster because you mightn't be that good at taking down a rhino. Whereas now you could just get generic perk points from doing stuff that you're able to do and get your extra holster that way. Uh, how, do, how do you feel about that change they've made? I kind of like it, because as I said to you before, I think there's a real RPG element to it. Yeah. So having a, a very specific list of things you can do, I like the fact that you can do it straight away. Like, I don't... There are obviously things in the game that are in missions that are, you know, you have to complete a few bits and pieces... There are things that you can only get after you've got certain levels of resistance or if you've defeated one of the sort of underlings or lieutenants as they're there. I like the fact that straight away I'm like, right, I can go do a bunch of this stuff and I can level up my... I've had just as much fun doing that to get the perk points and like doing the trapper things and, you know, going and skinning X amount of animals or like doing... <laughs> like one of them was um, fly 2,000 meters in a wingsuit 
Dave, I don't know if you use the wing. But it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the closest I the thing I think I've had to using a, a wingsuit, like or, or using the jetpack in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Like obviously you don't have the multi-directional control, but if you jump off something very high, you can float in the air for a long, long, long time. So you can basically travel like a good two, three thousand meters in this wingsuit if you like jump out of a helicopter at the top of the level. So it, it's so awesome just wingsuiting into missions. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty badass. Um. Yeah, that's... how do you feel about that then? Are you not a fan or? Yeah, I like it. I I get what some people have been critical of it, and they've said that they liked the for the sake of immersion and feeling like you're immersed in the world. They liked the idea that because you're crafting in those games, you're crafting the host to yourself. So they liked the one to one that you would need the skin to actually physically make the holster so that kind of in on a, like i said on an immersion level that makes sense logically and having a kind of generic perk system makes it more video gamey and less immersive so I, I i get that but at the same time for someone who would prioritize uh health upgrades and extra holsters as i would do in these kind of games i like it because now i can do those upgrades first um yeah exactly so yeah it's, it lets you choose the way you strengthen your character yeah yeah it's 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 giving you a lot more like if for the sake of a little bit of immersion it's giving you a lot more agency uh, and I, i'm all for that but uh, that's far cry 5 anyway. yeah that's the thing when i play yeah. this game i feel like i'm playing a video game like i don't necessarily feel like i'm part of an interactive story which some of the other ones kind of have that feel. This just feels like I'm playing a game. Yeah. Uh, and some people won't like that. And once you make peace with it, I think that's when you really start to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in summation, it's like if you're a Far Cry fan, it's another one of those just slightly bigger, slightly prettier uh, and still a load of fun. And if it's the first Far Cry game you've ever played, it might be one of your favorite games of the year just because you you, you don't know the formula and the tropes yet. So everything will be a surprise to you. But uh, yeah, so that's Far Cry 5. Uh, let's move on now to the news. News on the mark! I think our big news story for the week here, Jack, is the news out of Monolith, developers of Middle-Earth Shadow of War, who have decided they're going to close down their marketplace and remove microtransactions and loot boxes completely from the game. Uh, a decision mm. that is kind of, as we get into it here, you, uh, my kind of view on it is a bit too little, a bit too late. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll read here from Eurogamer. Uh, loot boxes uh, called War Chests in the game, and nearly everything associated with them are being ripped from Middle-Earth Shadow of War. The ability to spend real-world money on game gold will be removed for good on the 8th of May, and gold, war chests, and the market will be permanently removed by the 17th of July. The slightly different loot chest will remain, but you won't be able to buy them. You'll only be able to earn them throughout online conquests and vendettas. The core promise of the Nemesis system is the ability to build relationships with your personal allies and enemies in a dynamic open world, explained developer Monolith. While purchasing orcs in the market is more immediate and provides additional player options, we have come to realise that providing this choice risked undermining the heart of our game, the Nemesis system. It allows you to miss <laughs> out on the awesome player stories you would have otherwise created, and it compromises those same stories even if you don't buy anything. Simply being aware that they are available for purchase reduces the immersion in the world and takes away from the challenge oh. of building your personal army and fortresses. Um, of course. Yeah, so... That's why they say they've done it. 
And I yep. suppose the ends justify the means because, hey, look, we are getting rid of them and I might actually enjoy that game a little. I- I- I'm going to go back to it in July once oh, all Dave, this stuff is why gone. Why would you do it to yourself? Well, I have the game digitally, so it's there. Uh, you know, it's not like I'll be buying it again. Um, but once all that stuff is gone, I might give it a go because the thing that really, really turned me off that game was that every pause menu, like everywhere you'd go was trying to push you towards these microtransactions. And then whenever you do the online stuff, like you just felt demotivated because you know that there are people online who are just buying these gold chests after gold chest after gold chest and it completely unbalances. And as it says in the statement, breaks the immersion of the game. Um... So yeah. Oh, yeah, so it took them thirteen months or whatever it is. However, how long has that game been out? Since November thirteen. No, since November. All oh, right. Oh, okay. So this, only six months. Though. Yeah. This is this this is the sequel that came out just just this past November. Um. So yeah. So where was out earlier in the year than that? I'm obviously wrong. It's definitely it's, like... it's definitely Q3. It might have been September or October, but it's definitely Q3 or yeah. Q4. Um. Oh, my brain. So because I remember this is one of the big. I was looking forward to games, but it won our most disappointing game uh, in the game of the year this year. But didn't it also win like the um, the most okay game? As yeah, well? yeah. Um, so yeah, my my take on this is that, like I said, that's why they say they're doing it, and it's good that they are getting rid of them. But I strongly suspect, Jack, as I throw over to you for uh, your take, that there are uh, other reasons they're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, it's been scaling back, hasn't it? The loot box thing. Um, yeah. I, I do. We think that that is because the governments, etc., uh-huh. have have figured out. Okay, yeah, this is wrong, and and there are some bans afoot or in the offing at some point, or is it just a negative publicity? I feel like once something gets to peak negative publicity points, it's when parents of kids as well that are going to be playing these games get involved and they're like, oh, you can't play that. It's got microtransactions in it. And they're like, but I just want to play it normal. And the parents are like, oh, no, no, I'm not buying that for you just in case. So stuff like those factors, I would imagine, read into it. Yeah, yeah. but it's it, it it's six months too late. Um, I think they knew all of those things and it's easy to withdraw all of those things after you've made a just disgustingly filthy pile of money from the well, game already. Well, so, he- here's, yeah. the, here's the thing is that the suspicion has been for a long time that they actually haven't made that much off it. And it's just the, t- and the tail, because usually the point of microtransactions is to have a strong tail on the, the amount of income you're getting, that there'll still be like a constantly ticking, uh, meter of money coming in over microtransactions the the suspicion for a long time has been that has not been the case and it's just more trouble than it's worth because as you alluded to one there's the huge amount of bad press because this game itself when it came out got absolutely battered for the proclivity of the microtransactions they had in it and the only reason people still aren't talking about it was because like a, a month or two after this game came out another game came out called Star Wars Battlefront 2 uh, which took haven't heard of it which went to all new levels of taking the piss um so yeah there's the bad pr around the very concept of the loot box at the moment and then as you said as well there is the that that 
overlying specter of government interference because when Battlefront 2 came out and that was kind of all at fever pitch, uh, we were reporting on it weekly here how much worse it was getting. Uh, the Battlefront 2 uh, kind of press shitstorm that was Saga. going on. Yeah. Do you know who I'd love to meet, Dave? Is Who's I'd that? love to meet the guy that posted that Reddit comment that works for EA the, yeah. in the PR department Oof. that thought, oh, I know what I'm going to say that will ease the tension. Yeah, this should diffuse things. Uh, but I think a lot of people have gotten scared uh, by the, the loose threat of government interference. So kind of as Jeff Gersman was saying in the bombcast this week, they want to be like, if the government comes calling, they're going to be like, microtransactions? What are you talking about? We don't have any of those in our game. I don't know. <laughs> like, just playing dumb <laughs> on the whole thing. Um, but yeah, the, I, I, I think that's all kind of... They're trying to put the best PR spin on it uh, as possible, but I, th- I think it's just that at the moment, loot boxes and the way they're done and the strategies behind them, it, it's all just a bit too toxic um for my liking yeah, i think that's an understatement i it it has become like the the game equivalent of like game breaker for for people at this point like now yeah. people just assume that the loot box system is gonna at some point cost them money and it has just turned people off completely and also the back end of last year just really illustrated to me how crazy intense star wars fans can be yeah because my god they went and had two months of going after the ea and everyone was like yay and then they went after (laughs) the movie last jedi and everyone was like oh no you guys you were so close (laughs) the dander was up for significant periods of last year for them also i kind of feel bad for um for monolith in this because you could tell just on the way they talked about it and the way it was all shoved in that this was this was a warner brothers decision and not a monolith decision you know monolith that the first game shadow of war there was no or shadow of mordor there was no expectation on it um so when that game came out there was very little of the the kind of tools of the trade at the time to squeeze an extra few quid out of you like there was a special edition and stuff like that but there wasn't any of the super pernicious stuff we've come to know and despise in in 2018 uh so as soon as the sequel came out and everyone was like oh everyone loved this game the first time money 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 was all wb were thinking so i i kind of feel bad for monolith in some respects but uh you know maybe you know if they release kind of an ultimate edition of this game in august right after the microtransactions get taken out they might have a second bite at making this a bit more of a success. Um, and I, I will use this as an excuse just to see how much less cluttered menus and such get uh, when they're not trying to push these microtransactions on you all the time. So, uh, yeah, as I said, ends just There's just means. nothing in them at all. Indeed. Uh, I slot yeah. this next one in, Jack, uh, because it's a very Jack Lazell story. Final Fantasy Fifteen is going to have four more DLC episodes due in 2019. Uh, there's plenty more Final Fantasy 15 to come. Square Enix has announced during PAX East four more DLC episodes will launch throughout the first half of 2019, following further updates to the game's cooperative multiplayer Comrades mode this year. The episodes centering on Arden, uh, Aria, uh, Arania, Luna, and Noctis will arrive in t- early 2019, drip-fed out until the start of the summer. 
Uh, Comrades, meanwhile, will get a standalone release and its character customization will be carried over the main game campaign. Uh, Jack, as a, a Final Fantasy fan, how are you feeling about this? Uh, indifferent, Dave. I had a lot of fun with Final Fantasy fifteen, thinking, yeah, I, I enjoy this. Uh, then I played Final Fantasy twelve like three, four months later when they rebooted that, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Final Fantasy 12 is a much better game than Final Fantasy 15, and as a result of which, I had a hell of a lot more fun playing Final Fantasy 12 again. And I've gone back and done bits and pieces of the DLC. Uh, I think it's cool that they're filling in a bit of backstory, and they did like an a, Assassin's Creed style thing in it that looked cool. And I don't know, like they're really trying to keep people involved in Final Fantasy 15, but. I don't know how many people are playing this co-op mode. Like, I really wouldn't have any figures or anything on it. I'd love to... I'm sure they probably won't tell you, but I'd love to know because, uh, yeah, I haven't once been involved in in that whatsoever. I would be interested in playing Noctis's uh, chapter, though, because I think he is a very... The one interesting factor about the story to me is is what's going on with Noctis and how he relates to all of the things that happen in the game, which I won't talk about. But yeah, I was kind of shocked by this. Honestly, I'd just rather they start developing a new Final Fantasy game or just switch all of the people making that DLC over to getting the Final Fantasy VII remaster or re-release or whatever it's going to be done as soon as possible. Yeah, they've really gone quiet on that uh, the last while. Uh, hopefully, there's... funny that I bet it's because it's really fucking hard to remake the whole game in like explicit detail and make it look amazing. Indeed, indeed. Speaking of classic games, I'm sure Jack, you will be relieved to know that Shaq Fu: A Legend Reborn is finally coming out. I couldn't believe finally. When... I couldn't believe when I looked this up that it was actually four years ago at E3 where they teased this game uh, the return of Shaq Fu Uh, to celebrate the comedy beat-em-up's imminent arrival Sabre has released an appropriately appropriately outlandish announcement trailer which I recommend everybody checking up Um, and there's a colourful glimpse at some additional gameplay for the curious among you it's going to arrive on PS4 Xbox One PC and Switch on June 5th um and I'm, I'm, the main part I'm happy about in this is the idea of uh, something like this getting a simultaneous release on Switch where there's been a lot of games that have come out where we've had to wait a while for it to arrive on, on uh, as a Switch port. So, Jack, you're, you're a man who enjoys his sport. You're a man who is aware of who Shaquille O'Neal is. What? <laughs> what? This is a very strange concept, Shaq Fu, yeah, isn't well- it? It is, yeah, but there was like a time, Dave, where Shaq was like the heir apparent to Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan was probably for a good decade the biggest sports star in the world, I would even go as far to say, in terms of what he meant for brand recognition, both for like Nike and the Chicago Bulls. And then Shaq came along around that time and he sort of took over the mantle really of being like the next great nba player so you had this sort of thing where shack pop culture like had, had reached its zenith like if you look at a lot of the players that are coming into the nfl now dave there's a lot of shacks there's yeah. a lot of shaquille's and a lot of shacks yeah. so uh, clearly like if parents thought as as muff 
uh, enough or as much of Shaq to name their kids after them, then that shows how much yeah. of a big deal he was. Put it this he way. released two rap albums, Dave, uh, <laughs> which mi- mixed uh, is probably huh. the best way to describe them. And he was in a couple of films which were absolutely... Uh, what Ralph Garman on the Babylon podcast would refer to as exquisite acting. Yeah, uh, yeah. He has this weird. But this Shaq Fu is is uh, it's made four hundred and fifty thousand on its Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. So there's clearly some affection here. He has this weird. I love Shaq because he has this weird kind of like anti charisma about him. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know, like because I've seen him do like scripted stuff, whether it's um his acting sojourns or uh when he does scripted things as himself on 2k basketball games and there's just like he's so bad it's just absorbing um but yeah like you said he's he's still such a huge brand name like when i was growing up i didn't know anything about basketball but i knew maybe four names from basketball michael jordan obviously being one of them Shaq being another and I think the other two probably would have been Charles Barkley and uh, Alan Iverson they would be the only yeah. basketball players I had ever heard of until I was old enough to be like on the internet reading sports news um, yeah pretty much so that goes to show you that like he was in that rare class of athlete who transcended his sport in terms of being a brand and 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 a personality kind of like the way uh, American sports fans who wouldn't know a fucking thing about soccer will still know who Messi and Ronaldo are. Just a, just a yeah. guy like in in just at that elite level of a sport that everybody knows who he is. Uh, and yeah, this is just I I I kind of love this offbeat kind of weird like you don't think of Shaq in a like a kung fu kind of street of rage looking fighting game <laughs> no you don't let alone two of them um so yeah I'm, I'm all on board for Shaq Fu and I hope it's good because I would like to be, to, uh, to play something like this if it was good um and yeah that trailer this that's like a weird kind of anime cinematic is awesome Dave, this isn't even the weirdest property that he was at that at that juncture in like the mid to late nineties. Have you heard of Kazam? Yes, I have heard of Kazam. Tell the people at home what Kazam is. Kazam is a movie where Shaq plays a five thousand year old genie who appears out of a boombox. <laughs> I mean, I really don't need to sell you any harder if you're not already on Netflix. <laughs> looking for Kazam then I think there's something wrong with you and oh my goodness me that film Ooh, it's it's glorious but yeah I, I, I love Shaq because you know MJ always had that air of taking himself very very seriously you know Charles Barkley kind of went the sort of trusted and respected pundit route yeah. Alan Iverson has one of the most interesting life stories of any guy this you'll is, have ever heard as, of as I'm sure you're about to say there's a fascinating 30 for 30 documentary on Alan Iverson absolutely fascinating documentary on Alan Iverson and the trial therefore of but Shaq was always the guy who was just like a big lovable dope uh, yeah. and pr- he seems like that guy who also so every and 
doesn't even really necessarily read it or like stop it just beyond the pitch so yeah this is great fucking more Shaq games if this is successful put Shaq in Far Cry 6 uh, he also has a, a, bra- a, a line of sodas which are awful um, and, I, and I know this. Have you had one? No, I haven't had one. But I went through this phase a couple of years ago, Jack, where you know Brian, uh, erstwhile co-host of Link to the Cast. Um, I did this I thing. See. Yep. Yes, I'm aware of him. I did. I did this whenever I went on a trip somewhere. I would come back with a soft drink endorsed by an American sports star for him. <laughs> That's a very specific gift that you're going yeah. with uh... i managed to get about six different times i got different ones i couldn't list you all of them but he had a can collection of them at one point um and you would be surprised at the amount of like you know uh beverages endorsed by sports people there are there was the shack sodas of, of which i think there are four different varieties of shack soda um and then i also got him uh the only other one I remember was there was a half lemonade, half iced tea can that was endorsed by Arnold Palmer. Oh yeah, of course that that is the Arnold Palmer. Yeah, like, the the drink. I reckon more people know what an Arnold Palmer drink is than know Arnold Palmer, the legendary yeah. multi-major winning golfer. Yeah, indeed. And this was a can with a big picture of his face and his signature on it, endorsing the drink. Um, so yeah, uh, that I, I always have a special place for Shaq because of that really, really niche running joke that I had for a while <laughs> with Brian. That's awesome. I think progress peaked when uh, Didier Drogba was on the side of a Pepsi Max can. I, I was like, yep, yeah, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But that was during that range where like Torres was on one as well, wasn't he? And... Yeah, they had a whole bunch. Messi was on. Uh, Thierry yeah, Henry was... a few years beforehand it had something to yeah. do with Pepsi. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but it was before. I think World Cup 2010. They had a bunch of uh, footballers yeah. uh, on Pepsi product, and Drogba was on Pepsi Max cans, which I used to drink an awful lot of at the time while I was at university. And hey, yeah, pe- that, Pepsi that Max be... is a supreme beverage. It really is. Yeah. Um, anyway, Dave, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've gone down the rabbit hole <laughs> a here, little bit. I've enjoyed it, to be fair. Um, so we have a little bit of news on a game that you might remember from E3 2013. That's how long it's been since the debut trailer of this. It's a game called Below from Capybara Games, uh, which was this kind of like really strange, mysterious, beautifully animated dungeon crawling looking game that kind of like it, it in the promotional material said it owed a lot to old Zelda games at the time at least um, I, yeah I, and I think it still is a, like a Microsoft exclusive because it is a Microsoft Capybara I think are Microsoft first party um, yeah, it's on the Xbox it's got like the Xbox branding on it yeah, so we have a little bit of news out about it, and that is Capybara Games basically just confirming confirming it will release this year. Um, as Wesley and Pool at Eurogamer says, he's had his eye on Below ever since E3 2013. Its reveal trailer teased a mysterious, menacing action-adventure game viewed from a top-down perspective, with the camera pulled back to the point where your sword and shield-wielding warrior is tiny on screen. As the title of the game suggests, you explore the deep, dark depths with little to no hand-holding. 
Uh, before I pop this into the, the agenda here, Jack, had you heard anything about Below or having looked at it now, what's your kind of like excitement level if there is any for a game like this? <laughs> well, I'll start off right now by by stealing Mark's uh, gimmick and saying my excitement level is about zero huh. um, for this game. Because, <laughs> I, yeah, I vaguely remembered it. You know, it's kind of like when you're introduced to someone at work and you're like, hey, hey, how's it going? And you don't see him or her for like a year, year and a half. And then one day they're in a lift and they give you that cursory nod. And you're like, oh, yeah, hey, how's it going? And like, you, you don't even remember the person's name. That's kind of like what it was with Below. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember the buzz. Because there was buzz. And I almost feel like the fact that they've done nothing with it, like, has kind of added to the legend a bit, really, where there's like a very specific hardcore subset of people that are really excited. Yeah. It, it's kind of in some um, ways. Yeah, I just hope they deliver something compelling rather than another Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah, it's kind of. It reminds me of something that also we saw the first limbs of around that time, and that's Cuphead. Where, like, we saw a bit of Cuphead in a sizzle reel for Microsoft indie stuff. We're like, what the fuck is this? And then it just went away for ages. Uh, there was, like, a tech demo at 1E3 where people were like, oh, I'm not so sure about this. And then it just re emerged and released last year. Um, so hopefully it's a similar kind of success story. Uh, I, I very much think this kind of like, it's hard to get, uh, like a, a dungeon based, uh, adventure game going, uh, without again, like calling to mind Zelda games and Zelda games are obviously that genre of game done to perfection. So it's hard to come up with a unique take on it or do it as well as Zelda games. So all the best for Capybara games. Uh, and I will definitely be earmarking this one. Um, and keeping an eye on it if it does indeed come out this year. Speaking of something your hype levels might be significantly higher for, Jack, Spyro the Dragon is returning, and not just in Skylanders. The Spyro Reignited Trilogy, comprising the first three Spyro games, Spyro the Dragon, Spyro 2 Ripto's Rage, and Spyro Year of the Dragon, uh, will all be releasing on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on September 21st. Um, no mention yet of a PC or a Nintendo Switch release, but I'm assuming that at least a Nintendo Switch port will probably arrive at some point uh, a couple of months afterwards. Were you a Spyro guy growing up, Jack? Uh, or, or what's your kind of, like, uh, your, your history with, with that franchise? I kind of add more on the side of the Bandicoot. I kind of feel like that was the time where you had Spyro and Crash Bandicoot, and they were like the two main animal-based platformers on yeah. the PlayStation. I played through a lot of, I think, the second Spyro game, because uh, I'd only ever played a demo back when you used to get demo discs, which now seem one of the most antiquated concepts in history. Uh, but I played through most of Spyro 1's demo, and yeah, I played through Spyro 2. And I kind of always felt like the thing that kept me going back to Crash was it was, as you like to say, bastard hard and really difficult, and it felt really rewarding to get through Crash, whereas Spyro was just kind of like, okay. Um, he's a purple dragon people remember him fondly and i'm sure this will do well but i don't think it will do well as the, the crash insane uh, trilogy did but it's kind of a no-brainer really you've got a property from the past dust it off and see what you can do with it yeah absolutely i i like 
I'm a little bit more high on Spyro than than, than you seem to be. Uh, I I really enjoyed it as a kid. Um, I don't know if I'll get the trilogy because again, like you say, they weren't really known for being challenging. They were known for just being like kind of a fun and colorful world to kind of roam around in like they wouldn't have even been difficult on the level of like a banjo kazooie when you're thinking about animal based mascot platformers with collecting uh like a bunch of collectible items in them but yeah it's cool to see and i think uh just looking at the trailer for reignite a trilogy they've done a really good job rebuilding the game from the ground up it looks really really good so uh spyro fans be excited um firewatch campo santo's debut game which came out year before last uh, on ps4 xbox one is getting a port to nintendo switch uh it's coming soon we don't have an exact date um but uh i think jack if you haven't played firewatch uh, firewatch is a really really absorbing narrative and a beautifully animated game but my hang up on it is that uh, in terms of performance ps4 struggled to keep that frame rate going stable so i'm a little bit concerned as to what it's going to look like on switch but uh were you a firewatch guy have you looked at firewatch because it's a game i strongly recommend that's for sure i i've never played it i i had it in the sort of end of year cause it was 2016 yeah it came out so I, it was kind of mentioned a few bits and pieces as being like a a really like um it interesting kind of great looking open worldy kind of game uh i didn't really have much knowledge of it but i think any game that it kind of seems straightforward to be able to port to switch right now should be thinking about we need to port over to switch um so yeah this is again as we mentioned before with Spyro, this is kind of another no-brainer to put on there. And for me, it'll give me a reason and an excuse to to play it. Because if I can play it on the move, that gives me something to do in between coming home and playing Far Cry 5 at the moment. Although I doubt it's going to be out that, that soon. But yeah, whatever the, the game du jour is in a couple of months' time when this comes out, I'll, uh, I'll definitely have a look at it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some more Nintendo Labo news uh, that that's dropping this month. Uh, Nintendo have been doing these uh, really interesting uh, little shorts about like different things you can do with Labo, um, and this talks about the Toy-Con garage or garage, I suppose, if you're North American. Uh, the different things you can do in it, and this is like. A- Everything about Nintendo Labo and how it works completely blows my mind, Jack. Um, But with the help of Hugh Rubber Brands and a cardboard peripheral system supplied, Nintendo Labo lets you program your Switch to act like an electric guitar. Nintendo's new video is the most detailed look yet at the Toy-Con Garage, its built-in programming toolkit which lets you dream up and tinker with your own creations. Uh, we've already seen how it can let you customize and tweak existing designs if you're feeling particularly arty but it shows off the programming side of things in this video and shows how you can set up screen uh, buttons on the Switch's touchscreen with inputs and outputs to play music when strummed then you can use the Joy-Con to further adjust your musical outputs setting it so you can adjust pitch with motions or buttons the results of it are pretty impressive Nintendo Labo is due on the 20th of April uh, in Ireland it's due on the 27th of April um as a guy who's like uh one of the the, the many things uh we, we are nerdy about a lot of things on this show jack one of the things you are nerdy about is like uh 
music from like the, the you're, you're you're an audiophile, could we say? Yeah, I, I would say that for sure. Um, how does this kind of like this creativity with kind of creating music and creating an instrument by dicking with inputs in, in this creation tool? What does it? What does this? Does this scratch an itch for you? Is this like? What are you thinking? Because like I'm just my mind is blown by this kind of stuff. I saw the video. It looks really cool. Everything about the labo so far is just pure artistry, and I feel like there aren't many decisions being made in the video game industry at the moment based on creativity and, and trying to do something genuinely groundbreaking mm. and it seems to me like they've just taken such a simple concept and the technical achievements that it looks like they can get out of what they've done so far like specifically this with like the individual strings on the the switch screen and and then changing the, as you say the pitch and tone and stuff of the guitar it just that is so so cool it really is and the rubber bands as well and yeah. just the idea of being able to tune like rubber bands and then have it attached to something that can make something and the fact that you're not c6 steve doing this you're just a, a person with a, a nintendo labo yeah. uh it's yeah that's really cool it's just cool everything that they've done with this so far i just look at it and i'm like yeah that that's just so fun Nintendo have, have definitely nailed all the marketing around this. I guess time will tell as to how it's received. Um, well, no, I guess it would probably be received well, but like how it sells. I'll be interested to see yeah. if people jump on and early adopt this tech, actually. Because I know you have, Dave. Yeah. Self-confessed. Yes, so, I've, yeah. I've got this stuff pre-ordered. Uh, and I see like this, the legacy of Labo being two things. It's going to be like the... The people who look at it superficially and just want to play with the the stuff that's been pre-made for you, um, and they'll kind of buy the games, uh, buy the kits, they'll build their stuff, and then after a while, when they get bored of it, they'll just kind of put the cardboard on a shelf because it looks cool, and that'll be that. And then I I can definitely see this as having like a cult community coming up around it, yeah, like, like a homebrew community. There, there's absolutely going to be like at E3 2019, there's going to be some sort of after party that has a band, all members of which are playing Labo instruments. You know that kind of weird <laughs> fucking shit. Uh, one thing I really hope that comes out of this, if not at launch, then eventually is that when you've got that garage, this kind of like they're handing over the creation and dev tools to you to build your own shit. I really, really hope that they create some sort of Mario Maker-like way to share the toolkit that you've built. So if somebody is like, oh, I've programmed your Nintendo Labo to, I don't know, play the fucking harmonica or some bullshit. um, I hope there's a way of easily sharing that so you can just download the toolkit uh, that a user has designed. Uh, if not, I can see this as being like a really old school. Like, do you remember when we used to have uh, phones where the most, like, it was amazing when they had polyphonic ringtones on them, and you used to go on the, oh, it, yeah, yeah. You used to the go on the, you could program yourself. Yeah, yeah, you used to go on the internet, and there was a guy to press these keys in order to tune, like, to oh, if you want the Simpsons theme song as your ringtone um do this so i i can see that being the other solution that there's going to be these big detailed game facts how-to guides uh that this cult community are gonna just 
eat up and there are going to be people like who are into the more uh, how stuff is made side of games that are going to be very very fascinated by this like the i think the, the like of like um attested or, or any of these youtube channels that really get in the, the granular details of games i think that's going to help the the word of mouth on this one but i'm really excited just to dick around with some weird ass cardboard toys by the the insane toy makers of the video games industry yeah it's brilliant it it's nintendo just bringing a smile to people's faces and it's kind of cool that they're doing well at the same time like imagine they'd done this with the wii u like the ridicule and despair that would have been out there on the internet half the people thinking that nintendo lost their minds and the other half of the people laughing at them but after the switch no one's laughing and people met this with like intrigue and excitement so yeah it's it's amazing what can happen when you turn your company around and how people view <laughs> your uh, attempts at artistry here mm. so yeah dave i uh, i'll be over at yours in may and i pretty much uh, think that i'll be forcing you to get the labo out to see what's going to happen indeed indeed uh speaking of reveal news spider-man the ps4 exclusive spider-man designed by insomniac is out September 7th. Uh, Another quick sizzle trailer to announce that that is coming out uh, dropped this week. Uh, Jack, I'm really excited about this game. Um, Like, I I like (sighs) Spider-Man. I don't love Spider-Man. But the thing that makes me really excited for PS4 Spider-Man is that it's Insomniac Games making it. And they made one of my favourite underrated games of this generation, mainly because it came out on Xbox One when no one owned one, uh, and that's Sunset Overdrive. Uh, I love that fucking game, and they have told uh, people that it has the same kind of fun vibe as Sunset Overdrive, but the the map in Spider-Man, the open world you can play around with, is orders of magnitude larger than Sunset Overdrive. Uh, What have you thought about what we've seen so far of ps4 spider-man i'm trying to not be too excited by it dave i'm actually trying to temper my excitement because i think i remember playing spider-man 2 on the ps2 and just thinking this is class like a big open world that you can just swing around as peter in the costume just having a fucking blast and all subsequent spider-man games have, have kind of fallen flat and not really hit that pitch perfect note Whereas everything I've seen of this looks just absolutely amazing. And like the initial trailer you were kind of looking at and you were like, mm, how much of this is quick time events and how much of this is like actual yeah. inputs you can you can achieve. But yeah, it looks great. Like there's no denying it. I can't look at that and not get excited. So yeah, I, I'm trying to be a bit cautious and not feel like too keen about it but yeah, yeah I, i'd say my my fever pitches at about a seven out of ten at the moment <laughs> um the final news story for this week is uh for people who enjoy spotify and have playstation plus we have good news for you um there is going to be a discount for Spotify Premium if you are a, an existing PlayStation Plus member. You will get 10% off your Spotify Premium bill, which is a tenner a month in the UK. Um, the discount will remain active as long as you're a PS Plus member. Uh, PS Plus costs £7 a month itself. Uh, to be eligible for this, uh, you need to subscribe to Spotify Premium through the PlayStation Store before the 18th of October, so plenty of time so far. If you already subscribe this way, the discount will be applied automatically for your next billing cycle. That's a pretty cool little bonus, Jack. Um, I, I think this is the their way of kind of... 
getting around the fact that they're not the only console that has Spotify anymore because the app launched recently on Xbox as well. So this is their kind of way of going, hey, it's still better to have Spotify on PS4. Yeah, also another thing to maybe combat Apple Music trying mm. to gain a bit of a stronghold, like, because that's, you know, headed up by, like, the Iovines and Dr. Dre's of the world. So, like, there's a lot of support thrown behind that. Yeah. So I think anything Spotify can do... I must admit, like, having used all of the streaming apps, it's almost obvious to say, but Spotify is the best by miles. Like, it's the best interface and the, and the easiest to use and probably has the the best breadth of, of music on there. And the user playlisting that, you know, the whole, it's half, like, social media, half integrated and things like that. That's really cool. Uh, so, yeah, this is just another good, like a little touch to sort of get people if they're not into it already for like less than a ten or a month now you can listen yeah. to pretty much whatever song you want from like the last 50 60 years of music that's really cool uh, and i'd imagine it will hook a few people in which is a good thing for spotify because i remember not too long ago i think two three years ago like spotify were kind of being predicted doom and their like unique daily use account was down and now they seem to be going from strength to strength and this partnership with sony will probably only help that even more i would imagine yeah absolutely um that's going to do it for the news this week uh we are now going to move into the link to the cast book club which is that feature every week where we talk about a classic game from the past that you should pick up again if it's been a while or play for the first time if you've neglected it thus far and this game is a very special one for me it is grim fandango Grim Fandango is an adventure game developed and published by LucasArts in 1998 for Microsoft Windows, with Tim Schafer as the game's project leader. It is the first adventure game by LucasArts to use 3D computer graphics overlaid on pre-rendered static backgrounds. As with other LucasArts adventure games, the player must converse with other characters and examine, collect, and use objects correctly in order to solve puzzles in order to progress. Grim Fandango's world combines elements of Aztec beliefs, film noir, and uh, Mexican Day of the Dead traditions. Um, the story, if we'll get to that for a second. Grim Fandango takes place in the, the land of the dead, where recently departed souls aim to make their way to the land of eternal rest, which in this game is kind of AKA'd as the ninth underworld. Um, one of my favorite things about the, the way they do this jack is like in a very tim schafer dry sense of humor sort of way the way they talk about so when your when your soul uh, leaves your body you go to the land of the dead which is the eighth underworld you need to go to the ninth underworld to to have your eternal life um 
Grim Reapers, who are, you know, tradition in a lot of traditions associated with being, like, you know, they're the Reaper of your soul and they ferry you to the underworld. They take the form of, like, Tim Schafer said when he was designing it, like, he wanted the I, the, the job of being a Grim Reaper to something be, like, to be something utterly banal, like a taxi driver or a limo driver. Like, their job is just to give you a lift where you're going, basically. So, the way they have the Grim Reapers in this is that they're travel agents, working okay. working for the department of death in the eighth underworld and what they basically do is when you arrive in the land of the dead um they sell you travel packages which your currency for these travel packages are either the good deeds that you uh, accomplished in life or if you're somebody who you know shall we say has a lot of red on their ledger needs to kind of uh work off some of the sins of their their past life to try and get into uh, there, the ninth underworld. Uh, you will then just stick around the land of the dead and get a job to pay for one of these travel packages that will get you to uh, the land of eternal rest that bit quicker. Um, the the typical time being uh, four years in this game. Um, during which you go through a lot of trials and tribulations, uh, but you can kind of basically take a shortcut uh, by getting one of these travel packages, the fastest of which they say is the number nine, which is an express train that gets you to the land of eternal rest in four minutes. Um, Okay. So given this kind of like um, just banal uh, existence of the Grim Reaper, uh, you... Um, take on the role of a man called uh, Manuel Manny Calavera, who is one of these travel agents in the Department of Death, and he's forced to work in this job uh, to work off a debt from his his living life uh, to the powers that be. Uh, Manny is frustrated with the assigned clients that must take their four-year journey and is threatened to be fired by his boss, Don Copal, uh, if he does not come up with better clients. Uh, Manny steals a client who is kind of the uh, the heroine of the piece, uh, one called Mercedes Colomar, uh, nicknamed Meche, uh, from his co-worker Domino. Uh, the department computers assign Meche to the full four-year journey, even though when Manny looks her up, she's like basically a saint. She's someone who should be eligible for this... Uh, quick express four minute train the, the number nine and he knows there's there's something that that's wrong with this so, something must have gone badly wrong there must be some sort of conspiracy afoot uh, so what happens is he begins to investigate what's going on in the department of death that uh, travel packages and good deeds that that should be helping people uh, get on to eternal rest much quicker are being siphoned away somewhere else and he ends up having to flee the city uh, with the help of some revolutionaries that he meets uh, in the hopes of saving Meche's soul and exposing the compar- conspiracy at, at the heart of the Department of Death. So it's a very... Are, are you a guy, Jack, who has much interaction with uh, over your gaming life with not, not Grim Fandango necessarily, but Tim Schafer in general? Um, I can't say that I... Uh, I've too many of his games actually to be honest so he's a guy who for people who don't know he before this game he was known for uh, working on uh, secret of monkey island monkey island 2 uh, day of the tentacle uh, full throttle and the curse of monkey island 
after Grim Fandango, the stuff you would have heard uh, that he created, the the main... Oh, Brutal Legend I've played. Yeah, Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, Costume Quest, and Broken Age are are his main projects after that. So you'll know even from Brutal Legend that he has this very particular kind of sardonic, uh, dry style of humour. And... This whole, yeah, this whole that Grim Reapers work as travel agents in just this boring ass nine to five job where they're like in an office block with secretaries you have to have small talk with and all this sort of bullshit. And uh, it's just a very Tim It's very reminiscent of, as I say, it's very reminiscent, and I'm not sure if they would have been inspired by Grim Fandango, of the episode of the Mighty Boosh where they're Uh attempting to get to, to Monkey Hell. And uh, all the Grim Reapers are taxi drivers. Yeah. So, like, not hugely different from the travel agent concept. And they will ferry you back and forth between various parts of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's um, also quite similar to Coco by the sounds of things. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. It's, it's appropriate that it's that we're doing this not long after Coco came out. Uh, the, leg- the, the concept of this game... Um, Legend has it that it came from Tim Schafer when he was at CalArts, took a, a a course in folklore. Uh, he was a guy who was one of the CalArts people that got hired by LucasArts and was just a career guy at LucasArts uh, until he left. Um, but he took a class in folklore and in that class he found out about the Mexican tradition of when a person passes away, one of the things you do is that you put coins in the coffin, one bag of coins on the, the person's chest and then what you do is you get another bag of coins and you sew them into somewhere in the coffin, you hide them in the coffin. The presumption being that then the these coins can't be taken from them in the afterlife. So when he thought about that... Um, he just became fascinated and wanted to create a game with a Day of the Dead aesthetic. And the whole time he was at uh, LucasArts, this game was ruminating in the back of his head. So when Curse of Monkey Island came out and they were looking for their next project, Grim Fandango became the one because Tim Schafer pretty much had the idea formed in his head already. Um, So you have the Day of the Dead aesthetic, but then a lot of the beliefs and the way they talk about the afterlife. So the the city, when you look at it, is very Day of the Dead. Your your character models, the, the skeletons, are very reminiscent of Day of the Dead. But some of the traditions, some of the beliefs they talk about date back to Aztec times. Um, the Aztec people, and like there are a lot of Aztec-style architecture in it. There's like a weird combination of the day of the dead aesthetic combined with like all the architecture in the game is either uh, reminiscent of the aztecs or reminiscent of art deco uh the the kind of mid 20th century uh, architectural movement and uh that kind of that brings us on to the other thing that really inspires uh this game and that's film noir um if you play this game the the thing it reminds you of most in the kind of in a lot of the style it has are the likes of these these film noir films like the Maltese Falcon or um what else like the Third Man that period of cinema or Casablanca or anything like that just a real kind of like think about that period of cinema where women are exclusively referred to as dames or broads and that's the kind of like <laughs> that's the kind of feel a lot of it is going for um and kind of like there's a lot of 
uh, empty scotch glasses and smoking and everybody's wearing big suits with wide shoulders and uh, and stuff like that so that's really cool it's seeing all those kind of like disparate ideas mashed together to form one cohesive world is really interesting and one of the things i i really really like about the game um where else do i want to go from this so the the game is then structured like uh we talk about the typical journey from uh going to the land of eternal rest it's like a four year uh like a four act structure based on the four years and the kind of like you meet people as it goes on who like didn't get these travel packages and they had been on the road to try and get to the ninth underworld for so long that a lot of them lose faith and just end up setting up shop on the way so like this universe is inhabited the whole way through the game with with just various people from various backgrounds doing different things and it gives it a real one lived in feel and and two it also populates the the world with all sorts of different aesthetics so like like i said you open the game and you're working in this giant bureaucracy at the department of death and that's one kind of feeling of like the soulless nine to five world there's a different point of the game where an entire act is based around you like living at this real old-timey nightclub you know uh like think of like the coco bongo or something like that you know just like the uh (laughs) which is a, a great you're really a great going with the mask as yeah. your point of reference <laughs> i was just trying to pop you with that one but like you know there's this, this kind of and old you, you, you worked yeah like this old-timey swing club where there's like a big band or musical act uh in them and it, the whole place is covered in like a haze of smoke and there's a lot of saxophones <laughs> playing and just that kind of feel like one of the things i really like about it as well and it's it's something that uh i I, I know you look for in a game jack and that's that's the soundtrack uh and the, the the orchestral soundtrack for this game is really done like a mixture of that classic film noir soundtrack there's a lot of smooth jazz kind of playing in it real like i said old timey nightclub music uh big band stuff uh and then there's a lot of what sound like traditional mexican influence going on in the soundtrack of this game much like the visual aesthetic for the game the the sound design incorporates these disparate influences and brings them together in what i think especially for 1998 is a really really interesting and well thought out soundtrack in terms of the actual gameplay um it's not quite you know, you know what I mean when I say point-and-click adventure, Jack. Right? Have you you played many standard point-and-click adventure games before? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, where the whole thing is, your character doesn't move. It's just like your character is static on the screen, and you're just pointing and clicking at the things you want to interact with, and uh, trying to figure out puzzles and and items to pick up and items to combine and things like that from that that stand standing around there. So this is a little bit more than that like i said in the intro this was the first game that lucasarts did that combined um the kind of static background so they design a a static background that didn't move it was just kind of your backdrop and then your character was a 3d model that moved around in that so you actually did have control you could walk around in this world and one of the things that gives it as well because this was at a time before um roaming cameras that followed over your shoulder were the 
the done thing in every third person game so the camera is will be static at a, at a fixed point think of like the old silent hill games or resident evil games in terms of um just a static camera and i think that makes it even though that that style of camera has its drawbacks i think it makes it inherently more cinematic because instead of looking like you're exploring a level in a video game it looks like your character has walked into a scene in a movie that's already ongoing and i think that really really helps the vibe that that it's going for so like you might the the camera might be set up in say in that nightclub the, the name of which completely escapes me um the camera coco bongo yeah the in the coco bongo your uh the camera will be set up in the foreground and there'll be some like tables maybe a couple of people sitting at the tables and there'll be someone on the bar that you're supposed to interact with as part of this scene and when you walk into the scene you will not only be in the background but in the background up on top of a staircase where you've walked into the club so the scene the scene quote unquote starts with you walking into the nightclub in the background and kind of slowly trucking up to the uh the foreground to talk with the person and it really does like i said even though at points that camera is kind of annoying because you're a bit far away and you're kind of squinting to see what's going on sometimes what it does is it it makes you feel like like i said you've walked into a place that already exists is already lived in uh, and it feels like you're really interacting with it um another thing that this focuses on so the point and click adventure games um which this obviously owes more than a little bit of a debt to debt to because it's a lucas arts game um are very dialogue heavy because the the genesis of the adventure game as a popular genre of video game is that kind of game where it was literally just text-based before people had figured out basic vector graphics to to put even a backdrop on a point-and-click adventure game you had ones where you were just inputting text and getting text back so text and dialogue has always been an important thing in those games and you get involved in some very wacky and very deep conversations with the the cast of characters that you encounter in this. Uh, not least of whom is one of my favorite characters ever in a video game, uh, Glottis, who is just this fucking giant, gentle giant goof of a thing who's working in like the garage down in the Department of Death when you start the game and he kind of becomes your compadre as you uh, uh manny's compadre as as he moves through his adventure and he's just like this fucking weirdo who just shows up in a bunch of different places and is very helpful and just a just a wonderful little strange character which is a very very tim Schafer thing that like almost like we talked a bit on the popcorn social before jack you know the way the cohen brothers right this is the best way i can I, the best for someone who hasn't played grim fandango like yourself you know how in Coen Brothers movies, even characters that only exist in a film for one scene seem completely fully fleshed out and realized? Yeah, like they've spent a lot of time working on the backstory of it. It's one of the things I love, and I know people have kind of criticized her for it, but I love that J.K. Rowling did that in all of the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Like every character, no matter how small and insignificant, has this like rich history and backstory in a magical world and they might be mentioned in one book and then you're not hero out five books later they might get brought up again in passing yeah. and it'll be in the perfect context so i do love it when you have stuff like that 
Yeah, so like the two classic ones I always come up with from Coen Brothers films are both from The Big Lebowski. And there's the dude, who, the I'll kill your fucking car guy, who I, I just love as this tiny, tiny character who's in that movie for a minute. And you get everything about his put-upon, frustrated, rage-filled life when he just... I think it's a golf club he takes to uh, the dude's car because they they fuck up a car that is his and they think it's the the little kids. Um, and the the other person in that film who is just a completely realized little character who never shows up again is you know that private detective who just shows up and he has the conversation with the dude <laughs> who's just like. Hey. I, I, when you hear when I hear private detective, I I can't help but think of Gene Parmesan. Oh, Gene Parmesan, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> he got me <Yeah>. again. <laughs> ah, Gene. Uh, but you know, there's the there's there's a private detective who keeps asking like, "Are you a brother, Seamus?" He's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And he's like, "Does that have anything to do with the Knudsons?" It's like, "Who the fuck are the Knudsons?" So it's just like it feels like there's this little character who has his own arc that you only see one little bit of the middle of and then he disappears again and the world of Grim Fandango is packed with these people who oh Shaun of the Dead yeah 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 exactly when they meet the whole other film that is one of my favourite things that's ever happened in cinema is when Shaun of the Dead bump into the same movie with uh, Jessica Stevenson yeah yeah and the best part about it is they're all like, hello, and they're all similar characters. And then, like, Nick Frost's character and, the, like, the other version of Nick Frost just greet each other with the same level of indifference, like, was, barely looking at each it's other. It's Matt Lucas, texting. isn't it? Is the other version. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that, that's great. So, but that's the kind of thing you're talking about, where it's like, the, the <laughs> other little... The little characters in... Grim Fandango don't feel like oh this is an NPC who has been scripted to do this one little bit of exposition it feels like this is a person who's going about their day and you're inconveniencing them just by talking to them you know um, which really really helps with the aesthetic of like the the the, the film noir aspect of it the, the idea that you kind of like you know in, in, in like film noir there's that trope of like walking into the wise barman who's like you know uh, yeah, I've seen a guy around here that matches that description. You know, that kind of, like, conversational style. Um, there's a lot of that in here. I think it's a very, very well-written game. Um, one thing I will say about it that I think... Um, it got re-released two years ago now, I think, on uh, PS4 Remastered. One thing I do think that will frustrate modern audiences who didn't grow up with the LucasArts style games is that there are these kind of, and I talked about this uh, on a podcast I cameoed on recently, staying in. Um, There are some puzzles in a lot of these adventure games, whether point and click or this kind of hybrid of uh, explorative adventure game and point and click adventure game, where the answers to a puzzle are so imperceptibly vague that the only way to solve them would be to either already know the answer or to, instead of following the clues, think to yourself, how would Tim Schafer solve this problem just to annoy people and make himself laugh? Um, and there's one puzzle There's one puzzle in Act 1 that really annoyed me when I went back to it remastered, and that was because I hadn't played these kind of games since I was a kid. So I was trying to approach the... Approach... 
1998 puzzle game with the same kind of mentality that you would solve a puzzle in a 2016 or 2015 whenever it came out that kind of puzzle game which is just an entirely so wrong lots way of, like references to like seinfeld and stuff that you're like hmm. <laughs> there's what's th- a soup nazi there's like this one really long puzzle in it that involves you fixing the pneumatic tubes. So there's one point where you're still working in the office where you're trying to do something and the pneumatic tubes that take letters around between departments breaks. This real like mundane what will go wrong in an office sort of mini quest. And you've got to go and fix the pneumatic tubes. And the the, the solution to it is an incredibly long-winded roundabout solution that involves uh, deflated balloon animals uh, that you would never have thought of if you didn't like already know the answer or look up the answer or think to yourself I need to explore the world and pick up every item I physically can and just try everything one by one and see what happens um, oh, that must have sucked in 1998 when yeah. you literally couldn't just Google it or you went on Yahoo or ask fucking Jeeves <laughs> to see if someone had made a fan site that you could consult for help. So, like, yeah, that kind of stuff is a bit... that That's what dates the genre, and in a lot of ways, I think that's why it's not popular anymore is because they were known for that kind of puzzle that people didn't really care much for. Um... But it also leads to some of the funniest gameplay moments uh, I've ever had. Um, And I had completely... I did not get this joke, and I still kind of don't, but it's much funnier now as an adult now that I know who the person is. But there's one point where you are on the roof of a building, and you need to scare off a bunch of birds to get at their nest. And it also involves the balloons, but this time you need to find balloon animals in the shape of something that would scare the birds away. But when you go to the the balloon animal hut, the the person asks you what different uh, what different shapes you want the balloons in, and there's one that is infinitely stranger than the rest of them, and <laughs> you can try your hand at it. Uh, but you can get a balloon animal in the shape of the head of poet Robert Frost. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, <Why>? yeah. <laughs> and if you somehow think that that's going to scare away the, the birds, you can go all the way away from this shop, walk up onto the roof of the building, and <laughs> um, you can take out the Robert Frost balloon animal and try and chase the birds with it, prompting, I think, one of the finest lines of dialogue ever written in uh, a video game where I I think it's, Fly, you fools, it's Robert Frost! (laughs) As he chases (laughs) them around. And if I'm not mistaken, on the PS4 version, you get a trophy for doing that called Fly, you fools, it's Robert Frost. Um, So That's the best name. True heard of for sure oh it's gotta be it's it's absolutely gotta be so yeah there's that kind of like just that weird kooky sense of humor that kind of like when you're butting your head against the wall with a with a puzzle something like that happens and you're like yeah you know what game you're okay (laughs) and you keep going on and, and enjoying yourself uh, before I wrap things up there, I was just trying to look up the, the soundtrack stuff to, to give you a bit of a taste of it, Jack. And um, the influences here that it lists in the Wikipedia page are 
South American folk music, jazz, bebop, swing, big, big band music, and at points it also features influences from traditional Russian, Celtic, Mexican, Spanish, and Indian string culture. So, wow. there's a lot going on on this. There was a CD. This was one of the first instances growing up I ever remember this being a thing. But they released a CD soundtrack for this that was 32 tracks uh, long and sold from the LucasArts Company store. Uh, I think you'd very much enjoy the soundtrack. I think you'd enjoy the game, Grim Fandango, but you'd definitely enjoy the soundtrack as a kind of like a, a music fan as you are. Imagine this being released by a major studio now. Oh, it would it never happen. happen would it, it would never that, happen. Like, this came out in the same year as the original Jedi Knight game. Yeah. Like the, these huh? are these are different games, my friend. These are. I, I do games. have one question, Dave. Yeah. Um, Shoot, because I'm going to wrap up after this. Yeah. After the success critically at least of grim fandango not necessarily have sold too well uh what happened to tim schaefer because there were seven years that he wasn't involved in the production or creation of any video games after being very prolific after this do you know much about that period of his life okay so the thing about uh tim schaefer is that this was kind of like I listed off the games like Monkey Island 1 and 2 and Curse of Monkey Island that like he was involved in and the whole time he was at LucasArts he was building up kind of like he was just a writer and, and programming a little bit and then he um he finally got the reins on like Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango I think was his it probably still is his magnum opus like there's a huge cult uh, community up around uh, Psychonauts in particular and there are a lot of people who like Brutal Legend but I think a lot of people would say that his finest work still to date is Grim Fandango uh, after this he started working on some sort of adventure game uh, that never went into production never got announced that was going to be on PS2 uh, then he left LucasArts um, I I feel like there was a lot of kind of he was LucasArts were going one way he wanted to go another um, and and he left the company in like 2000-2001 maybe and that's when he founded uh, the company he works with to this day uh, Double Fine Productions who put out the likes of uh, Psychonauts and, and Brutal Legend and stuff like that so there is that big gap um, and he's been a guy who from the very start tries to do low budget games which means they're they're going to take longer because he really does like to ensure that they're done very well um, and he's also a guy who as time has gone on because the studio is so small as well he, he he's definitely a believer in, in crowdfunding uh, Broken Age was a big crowdfunding success for him um and yeah he's he's just a guy who i think LucasArts being a big kind of uh more profit driven entity than he was comfortable with wanted to explore games that would make lots and lots of money which they're a business so more power to them but tim shaver has always always been a man who is more creative than than financially driven so he'd prefer to do a really well-made story on a low budget than uh, a creatively bankrupt came for uh lots of money which you know fair play to him i suppose you're saying that it's you had that period of video games where a lot of people 
were sort of more interested in the creative element of it and there was like a weird kooky sense of humor in that 90s video game period Mm. where now it seems like any game that you would consider would be funny beats you repeatedly over the head with it and there's no like subtlety really in in a modern video game like aside from a couple of things like you know you've mentioned dark side detective on this show and it's usually only those small studio things now so i think this and like maybe conquer's bad fur day like are like that last bastion of of that sort of late 90s early 2000 generations of just being a weird as hell game with loads Mm. of a bunch of like comedy that like is either you get it or, or or you don't or it flies over your head and take your own creative decisions not for the sake of like trying to improve aesthetics or gameplay but just because they think it's funny or more interesting yeah. like the robert frosting <laughs> uh to sum things up here uh my elevator pitch is uh play grim fandango because not only is it one of the best and best written uh, adventure games from that lucas arts period of time which is now kind of legendary in video game history um but also as well as that um it is well it's one of my favorite games that's for sure it's also a lot of these adventure games they're not not lost to time but it's a case of uh disney who who own lucas arts now obviously um aren't really that interested in re-releasing some of these on current gen consoles so some of the older LucasArts games are really hard to get your hands on but Grim Fandango is readily available on PS4 so it's a really easy one to get it's it's a bit harder to get like Monkey Island uh, and the likes you have to do a bit of work to try and play one of those games now but Grim Fandango you can just pop on your PS4 boom it's there and the remastered version of it also does away with tank controls which were a really popular way of controlling characters in a 3d space in the 90s that is kind of maddening by modern standards so there there's a ver there you're able to change the control scheme to just be a more intuitive uh way of, of controlling your character in there grim fandango one of the best adventure games ever made that is going to wrap things up for episode 106 of link to the cast um this cast uh this podcast is available on all uh podcasting platforms uh well most podcasting platforms should i say soundcloud itunes most podcasting platforms just search for link to the cast on there subscribe rate review it, it all helps with that search engine optimization share it and tell a friend about link to the cast as well um you know if their podcast feed isn't uh, too crowded already like mine is uh the website is linked to the cast.eu if you want to get in touch with us link to the cast at gmail.com is the email address but social media is probably the best way to keep up with what we're doing on a day-to-day basis and get up-to-date uh content as it's posted you will see it go across our social media channels first and that's facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on twitter uh, individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV on Twitter, and my guest this week, Jack, is at Jack Lazell on Twitter uh, as well. Our usual co-host, Mark Robinson, is at Lithium Project. Uh, if video games aren't your only interest, we do have some podcasts that may be for you. Also available in this same podcast feed that you are on right now are the Grap Up which is a once-in-a-while pro wrestling podcast, generally including some combination of me, Jack, Mark, and the Chairshot Podcast's own Barry Murphy. Our most recent show uh, in the grab-up was a huge breakdown last week of WrestleMania week, the busy season uh, in terms of wrestling. Uh, The Popcorn Social is our other 
uh, occasional podcast, which is a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings with my co-host here uh, this week, Jack Lazell, and myself. Uh, We also have one offering uh, from each of us on every show from our own personal list of favourite movies. The latest Popcorn Social, uh, which should be dropping uh, sometime within the next week. Uh, We'll be talking all things Pacific Uprising, Game Night, Red Sparrow, Isle of Dogs, The Square, Michael Inside, plus old favourites, Trouble the Water and Moneyball. Uh, these podcasts plus our weekly link to the cast flagship broadcast are all available in the same podcast feed so one subscription to link to the cast on your favorite podcast platform will do the trick and of course if there are any episodes you want to go back to just search them all over on the website link to the cast.eu that is going to do it for our podcast yep, this just week. search the name jack lazel and you will get all <laughs> the good link to the cast podcast that you want to listen to <laughs> hey so for link to the cast this week i have been dave ryan the man on the line there has been jack lazel who i want to thank again for stepping into the breach without mark here uh, we shall see you all next week yep and next week's book club mel gets a lid too hey <laughs> soon <laughs> soon <laughs>